Welcome to another episode of the Pastor's Call Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Webb. Before we begin today's episode, I want to thank the sponsor for the show. It's Blue Water Free Methodist Church, where I have the pleasure of serving. We're an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. As well, this podcast is produced by Refresh Digital Services. So, so happy that you can join us again for another episode of the Pastor's Call podcast, where our hope, our goal, and our vision is to encourage those who are interested, pursuing, or in the pastoral ministry by hearing the stories of those who have gone before. Today, I'm very excited to have joining with me again, Christian Fahey. He was he was just on a couple weeks ago, sharing sharing his riveting story of his family literally kidnapping him out of uh, out of a dangerous Christian cult. And uh, there was actually so many different requests from various people to have him back on to hear a little bit more about himself and his pastoral experience. So, Christian, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you for having me again, Joel. Thank you. Well, Christian, let's just go right into it. Uh, kind of from where we picked up, picked, uh, dropped off last time, uh, and maybe start sharing a little bit more of your story and some of your pastoral experiences um, and kind of the development over the years, maybe leading up to where we are today. Okay, well, I'll, t- I'll t- tell a little bit about my call, uh, the call to the ministry in, in the pastorate and where it relates to uh, my cultic experience mm-hmm. with, um, with the group out of Indiana. Um, I, I, I'd sensed a, a call to the ministry probably uh, toward the late 80s, especially when I'd moved out to northern New York and had gotten involved in a different network of, of churches, uh, Pentecostal charismatic churches. And uh, one of the things that we were really trained in in my days in faith assembly, and this is one of the positive things, you know, not everything, not every everything and experience like that is negative. OK, mm-hmm. and, and that's what kind of highlights the badness. It's when it's like, OK, there was all this stuff that was good and helpful and nurturing, but then it really went sideways and augured into the ground. One of the things we were taught was the importance of serious study of the Bible, of biblical doctrines, of theology, of biblical languages, of Christian ethics, of surveys, and and then and, and then different topical things like everything from deliverance and exorcism to the deeper life of the spirit, something that people who are familiar with like the Keswick Convention and people like F.B. Meyer and A.W. Tozer and Andrew Murray, they'd appreciate that kind of stuff. We had a lot of that. Uh, a lot of charismatic teaching, which would probably be classified under uh, the health and wealth gospel, mm-hmm. fairly. Uh, and so we had a lot of that training put into us. And so naturally, those of us who, who love the Lord and love the word, uh, a lot of us aspire to become word ministers like mm-hmm. the different ministers that came out of Faith Assembly. Dr. Fre- Down there, Dr. Freeman was the lead pastor and he was kind of the head of the movement but there were satellite churches that radiated out literally for four five six hundred miles all over the united states uh where you would have word ministers who would leave the church uh or or who would travel to cities uh away from the church on other days of the week when they didn't have services Mm -hmm. thursday nights friday nights uh tuesday nights and so forth and they would have their own meetings where I went was one of these meetings in Lansing, Michigan. We had a very good uh, Bible teacher uh, named Jim Brenneman, and I learned an awful lot from Jim. Side note, um, since leaving, Jim and I 
uh, were able to get back in touch back in 2016. And he actually apologized in mm. tears mm. for um, for his involvement and where he was not seeing things and not mm -hmm. understanding the unhealth and the unhealth that he was passing on, which he was taught. And so these these word ministers would go out to these to these satellite groups. I was in one of them. And so I aspired to, to preach and teach the Bible. And I think that that aspiration wasn't just, well, you were, you were in this orbit with these guys, and so therefore you just wanted to do it. No, I think it was something that God put in me. I mean, mm -hmm. there, is a deep, there is to this very day a deep love of the Word, uh, a deep love of biblical things, theological things. So when I moved out to northern New York in 1987, I was very quickly asked by the pastor there, would I be willing to start teaching a Sunday school class? And I remember a moment uh, specifically where I, I really had sensed God's little nudge that, okay, this is the next step. I, this is something that you need to be prepared for and that I've opened up for you. Okay. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that I was jockeying for. That's for sure. So I, from then I just started being faithful in that particular regard, mm -hmm. teaching 11 and 12 year old boys uh, and girls in a, a Sunday school class. And, uh, it just, things kind of progressed from there. Uh, a few years later, I ended up, uh, you know, desiring to go on and further this cause. So I went to um, a small uh, Pentecostal Bible school down on the New York, Penn, uh, Pennsylvania border, uh, Waverly, New York, and I attended a two-year ministerial uh, institute. It was a two-year program. And, and after two years, you got a diploma, and then while, you know, while I was there, I learned an awful lot of good stuff, learned some bad stuff. And, um, and after that was done, I ended up going back up to northern New York to my home church, mm -hmm. where I started serving first as an associate pastor in charge of education, which meant I was a principal of a Christian school. We had a Christian mm -hmm. school grades K to 12. And so I was their principal. And of course, you know, you do a lot of teaching. I did that. Um, at the end of that year, um, in the fall of the, the upcoming year, I elected to move back to Michigan, where I'm from. My wife and I, uh, you know, we, we moved back there. We want to be closer to my family. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were out in Michigan for about five and a half years. And for about three of those years, I again pastored at another church in this network of churches uh, where I was an associate pastor. And I was in charge of... Um, of administrative things, mm -hmm. really in charge of worship and in charge of, of a lot of teaching things. So I did, I just did a lot of teaching mm -hmm. back in those days. Uh, later, we, after, at the end of the nineties, we elected to move back to Northern New York where we were, had started raising our kids and where my wife's from. And for another eight years out there, I served yet another church in this fellowship of churches, actually the same church that I had mm -hmm that I had pastored as a principal of mm -hmm. their, uh, their Christian school. So I served another eight years as a pastor there. And uh, I learned a lot of things uh, about the pastoral office, stuff that you couldn't learn in a Bible school or seminary. I did mm -hmm. some time briefly at, at Northeastern Seminary in 2001. Uh, didn't continue the program because in those days you couldn't do much online. Uh, and so it was a 360 mile uh, round trip once a week, and it was just too far to drive. So, so I, I dropped out, but loved my time at NES. Mm. And so, uh, so my pastoral ministry, as far as doing that as a full-time thing, really came, kind of came to an end in the spring of 2008. But since then, I've, 
if you've got a calling to the pastor, this here's the thing: the calling will emerge no matter where you're at. Mm -hmm. It might emerge in a in a in an inferior form, but it always finds its way to the surface. Mm -hmm. It can't not. Okay, mm -hmm. there there's a there's a saying with Catholic priests that once a priest, always a priest. Well, I mm -hmm. think it's the same thing is true for a pastor. Mm -hmm. Once a pastor, always yeah. a pastor. And so, in 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 that time, in the last sixteen years. I've done lots of pastoral things. So even in my current job, I'm being asked to lead prayer meetings, being asked uh, to write things up uh, because we vend Christian products. I'm uh, involved in nurturing and mentoring and pastoring people. Uh, mm -hmm. I've, got the, I've got one uh, young lady who just got out of jail uh, who uh, has come to me with lots of Bible questions. Mm. Uh, and she's she's really got a hold of the Lord. And so she'll she'll uh, corner me either at work or she'll send me a text and say, hey, what about this? Mm -hmm. What what do you think of? You know, she might ask me, what do you think about yoga or what do you think about Halloween or what do you think about the book of Revelation? And that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So I've been I've been pastoring all along ever since mm -hmm. and marrying and burying as I'm as I'm asked. Yeah. Well, and that's just something important to note, too. You know, ministry as a whole uh, isn't relegated just to the kind of the four walls of the church building or the oh, borders of the parish. And it's no less of a calling either to to pastor mm -hmm. in, in those very kind of integrated ways as part of life. So, uh, you know, just as an encouragement for those who are listening who have been pastors or feel to be pastors but don't have that title necessarily or a pastor in a church, it doesn't mean you're, you know, exempted from pursuing your call, but maybe it's supposed to be operated in a different fashion. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd agree. One thing, one thing I would say to that, um, you, it's it's important for anybody who has that call not to discount their call if, for example, they are a bivocational mm -hmm. man or woman. Yeah. And 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 something to keep in mind um, is this: that the rabbis, for example, used to teach that any man who doesn't teach his son a trade teaches him to be a thief. And so the great rabbis. Uh, themselves were bivocational guy. Mm -hmm. Maimonides, he's he's at the top of the rabbinic order mm -hmm. in the history of Judaism. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a he was a doctor, and the, mm -hmm. you could you could name other ones, but M yeah. Maimonides comes to uh, to the front of my mind at the moment. So d d never discount mm -hmm. a bivocational thing. One benefit of being a bivocational person is because your in your income source is not predicated solely on your congregation mm -hmm. it has the psychological effect of freeing you up to be a little bit more straight when you, when you're on the hook and and you run the risk mm -hmm. of of offending somebody who's a big giver uh that that's that's a tough that's a tough challenge mm -hmm. and any pastor who's listening knows what that's like it's like mm -hmm. okay if i say this yeah. am i gonna this person underwrites a whole lot of stuff and mm -hmm. is he gonna get offended you know, because maybe he ha yeah. he happens to be underwriting stuff, but he's also, mm -hmm. you know, hooking up with his girlfriend every weekend or whatever. If I address something like that uh, from the pulpit and say, hey, that this is not cool with God or whatever, am I going to run the risk of losing his support? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, so one thing I'd like for us to take a couple minutes and talk about uh, is just kind of continuing this theme of unhealthy or cult-like uh, church cultures, uh, church situations and settings. Because, um, you know, uh, you, you shared your story in the in our first episode where I chatted with you about uh, Faith Assembly in Indiana and, and that whole ordeal with your family. Uh, but then you moved to another organization that 
had a lot of similar unhealth, but in different ways and maybe not as, you know, quote unquote cultish. Uh, so maybe share a little bit about that journey and experience with that second organization of churches and maybe some key elements uh, that people should kind of be keeping an eye out for and prayerfully considering when, you know, assessing where they're at. Yeah, uh, probably the biggest thing with um, with these organizations that I've been a part of since I uh, since I left and was no longer a part of Faith Assembly, which is all but is all but defunct now. It was this: there was there were there were two things. There was um, an in a, a kind of an inordinate. Um, imbalanced emphasis on the importance of pastoral authority. Mm. Uh, that was the first one. And there were, and so, that was, it was not the same with all the pastors in the organization, but there were a handful of people where everything was about authority, authority, authority. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and kind of a corollary to that is these, these churches and the organization. Uh, and I would, inc- I would include uh, the ministerial school uh, did not, tolerate dissent i mean it just it was not open to dissent dissent mm-hmm. was seen as threatening now now when you dissent in a local church you can come on like gangbusters and get yourself hurt just by just by being imprudent or being overwhelming or not mm-hmm. being willing to talk things out it's a dissent doesn't mean you go in acting like a jerk but you have to be able to in a healthy organism like our bodies your body is dissenting all the time. You eat a bad oyster, your body dissents by making you throw up. Mm. Okay. It's, it's, it, this, the constructive, the constructive tension in systems of all kind mm. are their health. Mm-hmm. And when that constructive tension is taken away, that, um, that's how organisms die. Mm. That's how you would die. If mm-hmm. you, you've got to look, you've got to, you and I have enough, uh, enough, enough um, toxic material in our body at any given time that if it was not being pushed back against Hmm. by our body's immune system, uh, we would die. Mm -hmm. And the same thing applies to, to churches, uh, to organizations, to families and family type groups all over the place. Mm -hmm. There's got to be room for pushback for dissent. Mm -hmm. I think it needs to be done respectfully. Mm -hmm if you have to do it, but it has to be done. Um, you, uh, I, we had talked a little bit on the first interview that we did mm-hmm. about pushback and, and pastors in my experience, and this is probably in most places tend to feel, tend to like to have around them people who think of, like them. That's understandable. Mm-hmm. They tend often to like to have their own family members there. And I'm not saying it's bad to have family members on your church staff. The danger with that is that you're, you're, you're minimizing the sources of dissent that ultimately will help you. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, Doris, I think it's Doris Kearns Goodwin wrote um, a biography. I'm looking back on my shelf to see it. Uh, yeah. Doris Kearns Goodwin, the, the great presidential historian wrote um, a biography of uh, President Lincoln in his cabinet called Team of Rivals. Hmm. And so it's well known that Lincoln had uh, in his administration people he didn't like and that didn't like him, Mm -hmm. but that he needed because he needed that constructive tension Mm -hmm. in the system 
to to allow for him to hear things that he didn't particularly want to hear. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he 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 was strong enough that he would uh, he he wanted strong leaders, strong leaders who would push back. Mm-hmm. Okay, and in, in 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 these organizations, including the one that you talked about, that kind of pushback was seen as as rebellion. Mm-hmm. It was seen as as a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you, in, you, some may come back and say, "Well, what about this? This person came out onto this pastor like this." I'm not talking about somebody who's uh, who comes into a pastor and is unhinged and wants to get violent mm-hmm. or, or is railing on the pa- I'm not talking about that at all. But I am talking about hey, saying, look, okay, I attended the business meeting, the annual business mm-hmm. meeting tonight, and I really have a question about the sale of this property. And uh, the, our bylaws say that the, the sale of this cannot inure to the benefit of anybody in the congregation. But in this particular case, it's inuring to the benefit of your bank account. Can you explain this to me? That's that's healthy dissent. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 when cults, you know, they're cults can, it can be the word cult can be kind of a pejorative term. Anyway, okay, so cult it can be inflammatory, and people can get it can be sensationalized. There are like the autistic spectrum. There are groups who are in all sorts of places on the cultic spectrum okay mm-hmm. some case, some places are just as bad as it gets the children of god now called the family international that was started back in the late 60s by uh david brant berg okay mm-hmm. uh was is is a good example of a of a christian you know a fundamentalist mm-hmm. christian group that really became a full-fledged cult right down to all sorts of pedophilia that was encouraged and they had a practice that their young women would practice to get more proselytes called flirty fishing, where they basically go out and uh, hook up with hook up with guys, have sex with them and bring them into the cult. Okay. Mm -hmm. They started out, you know, as kind of a regular fundamentalist group. And then it just, it just disintegrated. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I think pastorally, one of the most important things that a pastor can have is people, the people in his orbit, uh, that are free to to go to him and say, hey, you know, you've mm-hmm. got you've got a booger hanging out your nose, you've got ketchup on your tie, yeah, okay, or or something worse, and saying, look, I, I there's a pastor, he's no longer in the ministry, he's an international pastor, very well known, and he he made some poor choices years ago, and they finally came to the light, and he had to leave the ministry, but he's a decent guy, and he had he would have people in his church, um large church in the United States. And there were some people who were just out to get him and attack him. And there are people like that. And I'm not talking, when I'm talking to Sen, I'm mm-hmm. not talking about people who just have an ax to grind and are gunning for someone. Yep. I'm talking about regular people who see things that are unhealthy for everybody, including the pastor. And, and, and they're voicing that mm-hmm. dissent. He went to this pastor. He says, look, he says, you know, I love you and I've appreciated you, but, but, and I'm, and I'm here to stand by you, to see you through this. But there are some things that I need to talk to you about that really concern me. Mm-hmm. And that had such a disarming effect uh, effect on this internationally well-known pastor that he just, he says, okay, free shot, give it to me. And he took it. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, that didn't fix the stuff that he had done behind the mm-hmm. scenes where he, you know, where he'd made some, some bad choices that eventually came to the light of day. But 
that's the way that a healthy system works in a cult that that whole uh, mechanism is uh, is seen as a threat. And depending on where you are on the spectrum, uh, it's the, the worse a group is, the more unhealthy a group is, the more important it is to um, to quash the dissent. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one of the things, for example, in Faith Assembly, uh, Dr. Free, because because people were dying, OK, you'd you'd have people who would not go to the doctor uh, because they they elected to pray and they felt that they would be sinning against the Lord if they took medication, and went to a doctor. They would just pray and 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 some of them died and some of their babies died. And so what would what happened with the authorities there in north central Indiana is is it began to be noised all over the place that, OK, this is another faith assembly death. And so there would be coroner's inquests and other stuff. And so that kind of stuff would be spilled in the paper. And um, and so Dr. Freeman the as the years went on you know in the earlier days of faith assembly it was more laid back and he wasn't as strident about certain things but as the years progressed especially in in from about 1980 up till the end of 1984 when he died it he got more shrill in his in his um condemnation of the news media mm. and uh he he would say you know he would blaspheme he says the news media couldn't tell the truth if it, if it, it was if it was staring them right in the face, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. And so when I when I hear major leaders going on and on and on about uh, fake news, fake news, fake news, I know I know that that person's in trouble because mm -hmm. what that what that does when you when you when you marginalize and demonize uh, the news media and, and, and to be fair, a lot of the news media are gunning for Christians. Mm -hmm. OK, but in this particular case, people were dying. And so what it does is it causes you uh, not to place any any reporting. I remember coming back. I remember I was living in Lansing. This would have been August 1983. And um, the first first week of August 1983, mm -hmm. there was a front page article in the Detroit Free Press that had a map of the central part of the United States. And it had the headline 52 deaths tied to Indiana sect. OK, mm -hmm. And, and so my mom saw that and she knew it was my group and she called and she was, you know, she was all worried about us. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so I, because I had been taught that you can't trust the, the news media, I soft pedaled it and said, mom, they, they, they've got things all mixed up. There were, there were a, the, the main in, the, in those days with that particular movement, the Fort Wayne news Sentinel was the main newspaper that was covering the deaths of faith assembly. There were, they, they had two, uh, reporters working on those on those jobs, mm -hmm. uh, a guy named Jim Quinn and another guy named Bill Zalatos, kind of like uh, Woodward and Bernstein. OK, and they were they were they were reporting on the Faith Assembly jobs. Mm -hmm. Toward in 1984, there was a story that came out in in Newsweek about the senior editor of the Fort Wayne News Sentinel who was found bludgeoned to death by uh, somebody had went in like with a baseball bat, mm -hmm. attacked him and just bludgeoned him to death. Mm -hmm. And so we were told at that time, see, this, this person was uh, coming against God's anointed mm -hmm. and coming against this movement and see how God judged him. It wasn't until after I left Faith Assembly that I found out that this man... Uh, had nothing to do with the faith assembly stories. 
He had just come to Fort Wayne from St. Louis, Missouri, where he was where he was a news reporter, and he had done a big expose on organized crime. It was a mob hit. But we were told to put the fear of dissent in us mm-hmm. that that was God's judgment. Now, let's let's just ratchet it on forward to other groups that I that I've been a part of since then. We would hear stories of people if people left about how God judged them. Mm-hmm. Or we would hear people saying, God gave me this vision of, of empty seats up in heaven. And these ministers who once criticized this were not there. The clear implication was because they they voiced dissent in this mm-hmm. organization, therefore they went to hell. Now yeah. you don't have to you don't have to put a gun to somebody's head mm-hmm. to get them to comply. You 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 utter a threat in the name of God, and that's more effective than any gun is. Yep. And that's yeah. what keeps them. That's that is that is a hallmark mm. of cultic thinking. Mm-hmm. And so when I start hearing that, it's like, yeah, wait yep. a second. Yep. Yeah. No, there's definitely some real, real things there. Uh, something I appreciate. My current pastor says, um, you know, we often say when we come against opposition, we say, oh, well, it's the enemy coming against us. But sometimes maybe we need to ask the question: Is it the enemy or is it God? Um, you know, maybe maybe opposition always isn't the enemy. Um, and you know, when you start hearing phrases like "Don't touch God's anointed," you know, "Don't touch yes. the Lord's anointed," I, I've I've heard that so many times in my own experience as well. Um, you know, stories of yeah, visions of seeing people in hell, or you know, um, you know, spiritual prophetic dreams and understandings of you know where you're at. Um, people trying to speak into your life, and um, even when you bring issues forward, and that then just gets turned straight around on you. Well you're bringing this issue, but actually you're the one who's suffering under this issue. Um, Like these are the hallmarks of, of these kinds of systems, no matter how orthodox they theologically seem. Correct. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and and I think part of it, and this goes to a pastoral, a pastoral matter. Mm. uh, Eugene Peterson has brought out uh, effectively uh, as far as I can, as far as I can see, the, and we, in, in my ministerial school and in other ministerial schools that were that were related, I we certainly didn't get it in our school. And I have a hunch uh, that at least uh, some of the schools in the past um, did not understand this. The pastoral, the historic pastoral role, is is comprises three basic functions: prayer, scripture. And spiritual direction. And spiritual direction is not, as I saw practiced in these groups, brother, mm-hmm. I've got a word for you. That was mm-hmm. not spiritual direction. Spiritual direction actually involves coming into the presence of people mm-hmm. and, and letting them share their story and you helping to discern what God is already doing there. Mm-hmm. So it's not about about hey I've got a word for you if you don't you know if you don't do this you know mm-hmm. you're going to go to hell or whatever it's about discerning what's already there mm-hmm. you're you're actually kind of confirming and so yeah. <laughs> that understanding of the pastoral role I didn't see it uh, when I went to school mm-hmm. uh, and I think it showed the other thing because you brought up one of the classic texts that are that are misused uh, when it when it comes to pushing back on um unscriptural authority or, or a pastor who's abusing his his charge mm-hmm. abusing his authority and by the way that in first in peter 5 f- f- peter makes it very clear 
that that it is forbidden for an elder or a pastor to lord it over mm-hmm. God's people. That's a sin. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a sin. And and corollary Old Testament passages that it would do well for people to, um, if they want to understand the pastoral mm-hmm. role, would be to uh, to to do a thorough study of Jeremiah twenty three and Ezekiel thirty four. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. Gregory the Great in his great pastoral rule is dealing starts out dealing mm-hmm. with those big passages, which speaks to the shepherds, and in context, it's dealing with civil and religious leaders in Israel. Mm-hmm. But he makes the application. So in, t- in, in terms of texts that are misused and, and, and used in such a, misused in such a way mm-hmm. to quell dissent, uh, there's a passage from uh, Psalm 105 where it says he, he, he rebuked kings for them and said, you know, because he was, t- in, in context, it's talking about all the children of Israel, mm-hmm. not just the prophets, priests, and kings, all of them moving from Egypt to Canaan. And he suffered no man to do them harm, saying, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is that gets lifted right out of its context Mm -hmm. to say, um, I'm the pastor, I'm the anointed. And if you touch me, Mm -hmm. you're coming against God. That's that's a threat. And in context, the anointed are all of the people. Mm -hmm. I mean, God, God, God specifically said that he what he originally designed there when they came to the mountain was for for the nation to be a kingdom of priests mm-hmm. and the new testament the new testament vision in first peter 2 5 i think is that we would be just that so the anointed are all of god's people yep. it's a misuse of that scripture yeah. to apply it to a pastor where somebody's saying hey he, he's teaching false doctrine mm-hmm. or hey uh he's he's misappropriating funds yeah. or hey you know, he's he's seducing young women in the congregation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. And uh, just also want to recommend that uh, uh, that book by Gregory the Great. Uh, I had to read it myself for a pastoral formation class. And even though it's, you know, ancient compared to our modern era, the wisdom is is certainly timeless. Um, yeah, that's his pa- yeah. The Gregory the Great, mm-hmm. his pastoral rule. That's yeah. from about 600 A.D. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. but he dealt with that he dealt mm-hmm. with that kind of stuff yeah and and so just that encouragement just you know even the similar experiences that we've shared and and as an encouragement for those who've come through those experiences or are coming through them now or maybe have that you know twinge in the back of their head like what's going on or or just those who aren't familiar with a context, church context like this uh, you know one of the most uh, mind blowing elements uh, that I started understanding about the pastoral ministry was you know, pastoral authority is not, you know, directional, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not telling people how to live their lives. No, um, you not. know, the, the things that I would take to my pastor, I, I now, uh, when I first came out of where I came from myself, I took it to a, would, was that talking to pastor friends of mine? They're like, I don't want to be that involved in people's life. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, you, you don't need me to help you decide what house you want to buy, you know? Um, and you know, really, in in the priesthood of all believers, pastors, yes, they they are in a, a dedicated role that's prophetic of speaking God's word, but their only authority co- is in the Scripture. Um, and you know, so understanding that role and actually understanding scriptural authority, not imbued kind of with this authoritarianism, uh, you know, certainly is something to to pay heed to and, and question. It, it, if I have gone through, you know, for maybe the listener who's listening right now. If I have been in a situation, I've heard some of these things that have been yeah. said. 
maybe there's something wrong and maybe the voice has been speaking inside my head for a while and maybe I need to start addressing that. So, uh, you know, just as we have a couple more minutes before we close, um, what would be some key steps? And maybe we talked about this in our first interview, but for people who have started kind of feeling uneasy about where they're at, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in their situation, again, the church, you know, it could be the church you've grown up in your entire life and you love, you know, and the relationships are deeper than any other relationship you have in any other part of your life, but you know, something is wrong. Um, and it's very evident things won't change. Uh, you know, cause that could be a, a thing that we fall into where we think we can stay and change it, but it'll change us before we change it. So what yeah. would, what would be some of those things to look out for and, and potential steps of moving forward? Okay. I, I, first the things to look forward to, uh, forward or look towards mm-hmm. to, to recognize, to recognize unhealth is, um, I, I believe an unhealthy emphasis on authority uh, Jesus said, I believe it was Matthew 20, where he said the princes of the Gentiles rule over their mm. people. And he he's he's very specific yeah. in the Greek that it is not to be that way with you. Mm-hmm. A top down type, a top down like thing. But you have to if you want to be great, you have to be a slave literally mm-hmm. to everybody. So I think I think you need to look uh, when there's when there's a lot of emphasis on authority when there's uh, the use of threats for people who dissent, even in a loving and respectful way. And I think mm-hmm. if you're going to, to dissent, you need to do it lovingly, you need to do respectfully. If you're, if you're dealing with a particularly thorny matter, mm-hmm. I think you need to, uh, I, I'd recommend that you actually write it down and then sit on it for a little while and then review what you've written and then maybe go forward from that. I'd also, I'd also say that personally, if you're in a system a system where it's where there is unhealth there, and by unhealth, I, I I do have to emphasize I'm not talking about loving and redemptive church discipline. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I don't think that a church, if you've got certain things and you've got someone causing all sorts of division, are living in scandalous immorality, mm-hmm. and they are they are professing that they are they, and it's known and it's mm-hmm. noised abroad. It's reported commonly. By yep. by everybody that you've got a guy shacking up with his mother-in-law or with his stepmother, um, that kind of thing. We're not talking about that. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I think church discipline can be applied with a heavy hand, and I think that's unfortunate. But mm-hmm. church discipline does not equal spiritual abuse. So I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about where you've got heavy-handed tactics and so on and so forth. I think the first thing you need to do is you need to be honest with yourself. And you need to realize that God is not going to step on you like a bug if you if you honestly are asking questions and taking a step, kind of a step outside of yourself and saying, okay, I'm mm. seeing this and this is not okay. Yep. Okay. Um, I think you need to be honest with yourself as far as when to confront. I don't think, I don't think, in some cases, I think you need to, you need to ask God for wisdom and you need to ask counsel of other people, maybe people outside of that orbit, mm-hmm. like we're talking right now, and and who can help you get a sense of reading the room. There, there are some guys who are kind of heading down, some guys are women, because cults come in both sides and, and come with both kinds of leaders, men and women cults, um, who are headed down that way. Some can be reasoned with, others they will cut you off at the knees. 
Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm familiar with one situation in an unhealthy church where um, somebody was involved in the church years before and had been involved in uh, in a matter of, you know, of church discipline. And years later, he thought my part in that was not right. He had to clear his conscience. Mm. And so when he got in touch with the senior leader and very, I read, he, he had me read his letter before he sent it. Uh, I read this letter. He was very respectful. Uh, the appeal to the senior leader, like a son, which is the mm-hmm. way you would do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. If it's, a, especially if it's an older man or an older woman, like a mother. Uh, and the, the response he got back was basically to cut him off at the knees. It was, mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was, it was cruel and heartless. Mm-hmm. And so I think you need to, you need to, to know how to read the room. And in some cases, it's, 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 in some cases, it's better, depending on how serious it is, you just mm-hmm. walk away. Mm-hmm. You don't say, well, okay. Sometimes you might just say, look, the Lord's leading us some other place, but in other places, it's not smart to do that. Yeah. When I left faith assembly, I didn't, I didn't call up my leaders and say, Hey, I'm leaving. I just left because I, I had come to realize mm-hmm. this was really a serious matter. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you have to be honest with yourself because you might think, okay, it's, it's like people who criticize the president. People, people, this is known that they say, if I get in that office and I see Biden, I'm going to, if I see Trump, I'm going to rip him this. And, and then when they walk into that oval, they're like lambs. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's just a lot of bluster. Well, it, you know, there are a lot of people like, I'd like to say this to this pastor and this thing to this leader and this to this discipleship dude. And it's, it's, it's all great when you're not in the presence of the person, you have to be honest with yourself about your own ability. And if you know, you're going to cave, you might better write a letter and just say, look, this is, this is not, this, this is not healthy for me anymore. Yeah. This is no longer working, you know, in other cases, I wouldn't even do that. I would just leave, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then if it's somebody that you can reason with, just say, I'd like to talk mm-hmm. to you. When you go in, you go in respectfully, you, yeah. you talk openly, just you convey the fact that, look, I want to see you win. Mm-hmm. But I've seen this trend before and this. Yeah, I, I think that this is going to hurt you and it's going to hurt the work. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that that would be that would be my advice. Mm. Yeah. Be honest with yourself and read the room okay. and act accordingly. Yeah. Well, Christian, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, you know, just as one one comment, as as I was thinking, as we get ready to close, uh, you know, coming out of systems where condemnation is used to keep people down, um, you know, maybe you haven't fully realized what does the gospel actually mean for your life uh you know when you come out of these systems you come to a whole realization of what the gospel actually means um and we can boil down the gospel to god wants you uh you know he created humanity for relationship for love for intimacy and he wants you and uh he's not just gonna squish you (laughs) um you know he will press to to you know to take out impurity but he's not gonna squish you um, yeah. you know, not, not in the way people think, you know, a piano is not going to fall off the top of the building and squish you because you left a church, yes. um, or you told the pastor that they, you know, were being unbiblical in, in some way. Um, you know, pastors are not above the letter of the law either. Uh, you Ooh. know, people who align themselves and say that they are mighty prophets and, and these and that they, they are not above, uh, scripture, <laughs> Um, well, and, we're all we're all enjoying yeah. to to prove all things mm-hmm. and then hold yes. fast. Yes, and they're certainly not above you either. Yeah. Uh, you know, there there's we're all equal before the Lord, and so um, hopefully it's an encouragement 
um, to those listening who are in those situations. Um, you know, do not fear the, the Lord is with you. Um, yeah. and he loves you and he wants you to be in a healthy environment. And for those who aren't in these places, uh, you know, there, maybe you'll be able to see the signs for those coming out of those systems to help them and work th- with them for the Holy spirit to heal them. But also if those signs start showing up in your, um, in your churches and for all of us that are in the pastoral ministry to be humble, <laughs> yes. uh, if somebody says something, you know, sometimes with some people, you have to take it with a grain of salt. But we should consider it and take it before the Lord and pray, um, yes. because maybe we're seeing, maybe they're seeing something we're not. So, um, yeah. Well, Christian, I want to thank you so much for taking more time, sharing a bit more of your pastoral story and experience uh, to people, and, and an encouragement to those who are who feel called to the ministry, but maybe aren't in that pastoral place yet, quote unquote, pastoral sure. place. Wherever you're at, you can serve the pastoral as as a pastor. So. Uh, Christian, thank you so much for your faithfulness um, and your your sharing as well tonight. So thank you. God bless you. Well, I also want to thank the sponsor for the show. It's Blue Water Free Methodist Church. We're an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world and also Refresh Digital Services, who uh, produces this podcast. And finally, I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us on another episode of the Pastor's Call podcast. Our hope, our goal, and our mission is to encourage those who are interested, pursuing, or in the pastoral ministry by hearing the stories of those who have gone before. You can find this podcast wherever podcasts are found. We are hosted on Spotify. Check us out on Facebook and also YouTube. Share this episode with your family and friends. Share it with your pastor. And we'll see you in the next episode. God bless.